Amen. Well, I love that line, and Luke alone phrases it that way. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. You know, it's my honor this morning to welcome you to the greatest day of the year, and, uh, and I realize that might sound a little bit silly to you. You might be thinking, you know, it's April 4, man. I mean, we're barely a quarter into the year, and you're announcing that this is the greatest day of the year, which in, in fact that I am, but it does seem responsible to kind of take the whole year, you know, like after it's over. So it may be that you get to the end of this year, and you might go, all right, well, Easter was a good day. You know, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was nice and everything, and And it was great, as it always is, and all of that, but the reality is I closed the biggest deal of my life this year, and if I'm going to be honest with you, Tom, that was the greatest day of the year. It's possible that you'll say that. Maybe that one of your kids is going to get married this year. We've experienced that. Listen, when they marry the right person, it, it is honestly one of the greatest days of your life. Like, forget the year. Like, this is an amazing, incredible event. Like, Beth and I got to the end of that wedding, and it's sort of like, you don't really know what you're getting into in marriage until you've been married for a while, you know? Like, when you stand there at the altar, you think you know. You don't. You find out. And we both agreed. It's like, our wedding day was amazing for obvious reasons to us. But, man, the wedding day of our daughter, like, that was, that was an even greater day on some level. It's a great day. Maybe that's you. You're going, yep, that's going to be the greatest day this year. It's already on the calendar. Maybe, maybe your youngest is going to graduate from high school and go to college and leave you and your spouse alone. Praise Jesus. (laughs) That's hard for some of you to imagine. Let me tell you how this deal goes, okay? You get a bunch of kids. So when the first one graduates and leaves for college, you are devastated. Like, I thought the world was coming to an end. Our whole family is being torn apart. Like, this, nothing's ever going to be the same again, you know? And I mean, it was just, oh, it was terrible. And then I woke up the next day, and the sun was up. And it was like, well, I guess life goes on. And slowly but surely, you recover, and you kind of hit a new normal. And you realize, oh, you know, it's not so bad. Like, you talk all the time, and there are advantages to this too, right? So when the second one goes, you're sad. You know, you'll you'll miss her. But you've done this before. You know, sun's coming up, life's going to go on, you'll hit a new normal, it's going to be fine. When the third one goes, you're like, eh, we'll see you at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Go on now, go. Because now mom and I can go out of town whenever we want. No more school. Look, it's a great day. It's not Easter. Easter is the greatest day of every year that you have on earth. Because here's what it says, and it is loud and clear. Death is not the end. It just, it isn't. Not for those with faith in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I think that's good news. And the reason I think that's good news is because for all of the challenges that you and I are going to face in life, Death's the one we can't beat. Can we agree on that? I mean, like every other struggle that we have, we can find people out there somewhere, you know, who somehow figured it out. Like they unriddled the riddle. They untied the knot. They made it through. They had strength or whatever, you know. And even though, I mean, honestly, we're probably not like them, they at least hold out a little bit of hope to us that maybe we too can conquer whatever this thing is that we're challenged with. All right. When it comes to death, there are no examples, Like, here's what none of you can do, and I can't do it either. Like, none of us can get up here and go, okay, let me tell you about my family tree. So it goes like this. This person died, 
and then we buried her here. And then this person died, and we buried him here. And then he died, we buried him here. And then she died, we buried her on a Friday. Sunday morning, she shows up for breakfast. Crazy! And we're like, is this you? Is this not you? Are we seeing a ghost? Is this real? And she's like, no, 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 touch my hands. It's okay. Poke me in the side. It's all good. Hey, you know what? I haven't eaten since Thursday night. I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. And then in our family, like in our community, she started appearing over the course of 40 days to all of these different people. And I'm not talking about people who didn't know who she was. I'm talking about people who knew who she was. So it wasn't a deal where you're going, oh, so you're telling me that you're this? No, you're like, oh my goodness, you're this person. She appeared to over 500 people at once. And she ascended to heaven and promised to return. I don't have that story in my family tree, neither do you. It belongs only to Jesus. He has defeated death. And the point is, he's done that. Not just for himself. He's done it for his people. Guys, Easter says that death is not the end. It says that a day is coming in which Jesus will return and he will raise physically all of his people from the dead. But beyond that, between then and now, and this too is good news, it says that our God is a God who brings life out of all the other forms of death that we experience as well. And Mason kind of alluded to some of that. Look, it's been a tough year, Easter to Easter. Lots of death of various kinds. God's like, bring me you and bring me that. And watch what I do with it. God brings life out of death. It is his signature move. And the reason it is his signature move is because no one anywhere can forge it. And you find the signature, not just in the story that Mason just read for us, but you find it in every story in the Bible leading up to that story and every story in the Bible pointing back to that story. And all of these stories in which God comes along and goes, life out of death, wait, that's my signature. Let me write that in there. They're all pointing to Christ. So here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to begin a study of the story of the life of Elijah that I want to invite you into going forward. So come back. That's the idea. Amazing, incredible life, this guy. What does it illustrate? Well, look for it with me. You're going to see the signature. See, when you know what to look for, you find it. It's everywhere. It's life out of death. Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. I know that doesn't mean a lot to you, but stay with me. King Ahab was the king at the time of Elijah. Okay, maybe that doesn't mean anything either, but here's the deal with Ahab. The northern kingdom had bad king after bad king after bad king. Oh my goodness, could it get worse? Yes, bad king, bad king, bad king. Comes to Ahab, he's the worst. The worst of all. His wickedness is only exceeded by that of his wife. Her name is Jezebel. Maybe you've heard of her. She happens, by the way, to be the daughter of the king of Sidon, a neighboring country. And Sidon is the cultic center for the worship of the Canaanite god Baal, which is the god of the sky, the god of the storm, the god of the rain, the god of the moisture. Why is that stuff important? Because if it doesn't rain and you're an agricultural society, and they were, you die. You starve. No crops, nothing green. Ahab and Jezebel built a temple, an altar to the god Baal in the capital city of the nation of Israel, in the midst of all of God's people. Think of that for a second. 
And then they dined every night personally, like they hosted 450 prophets of Baal every single night at their dinner table. And they instituted a system by which they were going about systematically hunting down and killing the prophets of the true and the living God. Great people. Who is Elijah? He's a prophet of the true and the living God. In fact, his name means my God is Yahweh and definitely not Baal. And so I'm thinking he was a little stressed when God came to him and said, so here's what I'm going to do, Elijah. This is going to be fun. You're going to love this. I'm going to send you to King Ahab. He's like, you know, can I just call him? Can we do it that way instead? No, 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 no. Personally, like you're going to walk in. You're going to go into his chamber, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell him what happens to a people when they put their faith and their trust, when they look for their security and significance, when they look for their comfort, when they reward themselves with, when they, whatever, fill in the blank, with a God that is no God at all. What does it bring? It brings death. But don't freak out, Elijah, because that's my signature, man. Like, I'm the God who brings life out of death. 1 Kings 17 verse 1 says, So now Elijah the Tishbite, who went of Tishbe and Gilead, said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, plural, except by my word. What is he saying? He's like, listen, your God is the God of the rain, right? Like he's the God of the moisture from the sky. He's the one who makes it rain. He's the God who comes and brings life to the earth by his rain. Like he's that God. He's the storm God, right? Right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's test that. Let's see if that's true. So here's what I'm going to do in the name of the Lord, my God, my name is, my God is Yahweh. So in any event, I'm going to walk over and by his power, I'm just going to turn off the faucet. And nothing is going to come from it. It's not even going to do nothing. No moisture until I turn it back on. So he delivers that bomb, walks out of the castle, and God says, this would be a good time for you to get out of town. (laughs) Little camping trip for you. And he sends him off to the east. He sends him off across the door, and he sends him out in the wilderness, this place of deprivation. There's nothing there except a brook. And he says, I'm going to provide water for you from the brook. And here's what I'm going to do, Elijah. I'm going to fly in food for you, bread and meat. Okay. And I'm going to fly it in in the morning and I'm going to fly it in in the evening. And it's going to come in the claws of ravens. Why is that significant? Because in every culture of man, guys, since Noah and the ark forward, everyone has understood that the raven is associated with death. Just watch movies. When you see the raven, somebody's just died. We all get the image. So what is God doing? He's signing the page. He's bringing life out of death. We don't know how long Elijah was out there, but we do know that every day that he woke up, he experienced what everybody else in Israel was experiencing. And what was that? The stream was getting a little lower. Day by day, he watches as this thing that represents life to him, which is this water, diminishes. Like he goes from swimming in it to laying down in it, to scupping it with his hands, to getting down on his hands and knees and trying to suck a little out of the stream, the little trickle that's left. Like God lets it run all the way down to about three canteens full, and then he shuts it off. And he's like, I'm glad you filled your canteen because now you're going to go on a hiking trip. But I just want to pause there for a minute and say, you know, it is a painful thing to watch 
things that you look to for life that represent life to you run dry. Isn't it? So Elijah goes on the hiking trip, and he goes from east to west all the way across Israel, even though he's the most wanted man in Israel. God's like, yeah, yeah, we got this. So you're going to walk all the way across it, and as you walk across it, what you're going to witness is the result of worshiping things that are not God's. It's all brown. It's desperate. And I want you to go all the way to the border of Israel and Sidon, which I know Jezebel's dad is the king of, and it's the cultic center for the worship of Baal, and you're most wanted primarily by her at this point because you've humiliated all of her prophets and her God. And so anyway, I want you to go into Sidon, and I want you to see that Baal can't even protect its own people. And in Sidon, in a little town called Zarephath, there is a widow, and through her, I'm going to provide for you. So he shows up. You know what the widow is doing? She's collecting sticks, which is odd. I get that. You're like, she's crazy. No, she's going to collect the sticks. She's going to make a fire. She's going to take the handful of flour that she has in her flour jar and the little bit of oil that she has in her oil jug. And this is all she has left to eat, period. She's going to cook that on the sticks, on the fire. She's going to eat some of it. She's going to give her son the rest of it. And then here's the plan. Then we're going to die of starvation. And what does God do? He miraculously sustains Elijah and the woman and her son. How? By refilling the jars. Wait, what does an empty flour jar or an empty oil jug mean? What does it represent in that moment? So when it's empty, we die of starvation. It represents death. And in refilling it day after 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 day, God's just signing the pages. He's like, yeah, I got this one. Yeah, this is my signature move. Yeah, try this one, Baal. Go ahead. Just do it. Knock yourself. Nobody can do this, right? He's bringing life out of death, life out of death, life out of death, life out of death until we find physical death in the story. It says, and after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And when you have stopped breathing, you are dead. The boy dies. And the mom comes to Elijah. And she says, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance, meaning to the remembrance of God and to cause the death of my son. All right, what do you think about that? I think she recognizes two things that all of us already know. And that is, first of all, that sin creates a debt. I mean, just think about it in terms of your own experience in life. Like when somebody sins against you, they defraud you. They steal something from you. They betray you. They malign you. They take your reputation, if you will. They deceive you. What's the language we use? It's all commercial. Right? They've stolen something. They owe me. I'm trying to get even. Okay, so then how great is the debt when it's God that we've defrauded, when we've taken a life and gone, yeah, I know you made this for you, but I'm going to do this instead. She's recognizing, okay, wait a minute, there's a debt here. And the other thing that she's recognizing is that all debts get paid. They all get paid by somebody. So let's say your son graduates from high school and he goes to college and he gets out. And you're like, praise Jesus, you know, and he doesn't move home. And you're like, double praise Jesus. Right? You're excited about that. And then he comes to you and he says, I want to start a business. Dad, can I borrow $5,000? And you're thinking, 
I don't know. You know, you've got a solid job. It's kept you out of my house. What does this mean? And did you go in with him? You go, all right, I'll give you the $5,000. And your son's business takes off and he does well with it. And you're like super proud of him. And it's amazing. And he's proud of himself. And he comes to you one day and he gives you a check for $5,000. No interest. He's your son. That's the way it works. All right. You have an option. Like either in that moment, he's paid the debt because all debts get paid or without telling your other kids, because then it just costs you more. You can say, son, I am so proud of you, love what you've done, and tear up the check, in which case, who's paid it? You have. When the bank forgives your loan, sorry, they just paid it. When you pay your loan, okay, you know what? You just paid it. Every debt, everywhere gets paid. She's looking at her life. She's got this man of God in her house. Life is coming out of death in the, in the flower jar and in the oil jug. And she's going, oh my goodness, I think what you've done is you've drawn the attention of this God of yours to me, to whom I obviously owe a debt. And he called my debt. And the debt was the life of my son. Wait a minute. That is not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is the debt exists. And when you come to faith in Jesus, what you realize is that God gave the life of his son to pay your debt to him. The note's torn up. The debt's forgiven. And believe it or not, we see it in the story. It's all found in the imagery. Elijah said to the woman, he says, give me your son. And he took him from her arms. He's a little boy. And he carried him up to into the upper chamber where he lodged, and he lay him on his own bed, this dead child. And then he cried to the Lord, and he said, O oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child in this form. The form matters. It's the form of a cross. He's taking his death, if you will, upon himself. And how many times does he do it? Three, how long was Jesus in the grave? Friday, Saturday, shows up for breakfast on Sunday. Says, hey, touch my hands. What about my feet? Poke me in the side. You know what? I'm hungry. I haven't eaten since Thursday night. No, guys, it's really me. It's all here. It's all him. He stretched himself upon the child three times. And cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him. And what gave him faith for that? It's because he's already experienced that God is a God who brings life out of death. I mean, the ravens brought the food, the flour and the jug, you know, they keep getting refilled. It's like he believes in the Lord, listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. You know, no big deal. There he is. And the woman said to Elijah, and this is why her child died. This is the answer. She says, now, meaning not before, but now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. She's like, I was impressed with the flower jar and the jug. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That was pretty fancy, but not till now did I believe in your God. Do I believe in his forgiveness? Do I trust in him and receive everlasting life? Guys, out of death, 
our God brings everlasting life to the mother of this child. He's just signing the page. It's remarkable. Our God is a God who brings life out of death. It's his signature move. And he did it in that day, and he does it in our day. And that is really good news because, again, from last Easter to this Easter, lots of death. From last Easter to this Easter, streams running dry. Things that look we look to for life and meaning and hope and joy and satisfaction and significance and all of this stuff dissipating. What's God doing? He's jumping up and down going, hey, I'm right here. <laughs> you don't need me. That's just going to fail you. I mean, you don't need that. That's just going to fail. You need me. So I close with this. I just want to ask you, how does God want to use death to bring you life? You know, I mean, maybe he's doing it to disabuse you of the power of these things around you that are dying, of the streams around you that are dissipating, of the little bales in your life that aren't working anymore. They've been knocked off the throne. They've been shown to be nothing but stone or wood or metal or whatever. They have no being. They have no life. They have no love to call you to the one who so loved you, that he gave his son to pay your debt. Debt paid, note canceled. Freedom. It's amazing. Maybe that's what he's doing this morning. In which case, I'd encourage you to talk to us after the service, to go to Alpha, as Mason said. Or maybe God is just calling you back to himself. I think this has been a weary time for the church. It's been weary for everyone. Honestly, I really do. And I think that for a lot of us, it has just sort of lulled us to sleep. And I think this is the great awakening. At least it could be. I mean, what greater day to wake up than this? Really? And here's what I'm not doing. I'm not coming to you with a bunch of things to now that you got to do. You know, I mean, we're all tired. I mean, you know, it's like if I came to you with a fitness program right now, you'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to sit on the couch and eat ice cream. Okay. I don't have energy for anything else. I'm coming to you with a relationship in which there is life. And I'm calling you back to him. That's the offer. Let the death of death that we celebrate today bring you life. It's the greatest day of the year, man. I don't care what else happens this year, honestly. Like, you don't beat this one. Because this one says that death is not the end and life is found in Jesus. And that's true for me and it's true for you. It's true for anyone, anywhere. He says, all right, Lord, here's my life, broken as it is. Here's my debt, like I'm, I'm bringing it all. Here's all the death. I'm going to give this to you, and in you I'm going to find life and forgiveness. I'm going to find joy and meaning and purpose. I'm going to find satisfaction, and I'm going to look for ways that you bring life out of death. Like, I know what your signature looks like now. I'm looking to find it on the pages of my life. When you do, you will. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful and amazing day. God, this is the day that you have made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, for all our challenges, death we cannot defeat. There's no hope apart from you. And in you, there is a hope that does not fail. God, we bring ourselves to you such as we are. 
We lay ourselves at your feet, O God. We ask that by Jesus you would pay our debt to you. We claim his life as the payment in full. And now release your spirit. Fill us, Lord. God, just fill us with your life. And let us exude a faith that says, you know what? My God brings life out of death. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.